0: Welcome to Path. I am Louise Palenker. And I'm
1: Fritz Coleman.
0: You know, every week we like to explore pathways that lead towards entertaining and enlightening media choices. And this week we are heading out to trails and outposts where action and adventure await. And where Roy Rogers and Dale Evans astride Trigger and Buttermilk will fill our hearts and our dreams with excitement and wonder. We are welcoming Julie Rogers-Pamelia, whose new book is called Your Heroes, My Grandparents. A granddaughter's love, Julie, joins us shortly. But first, Fritz, you've got some special news for us, don't you?
1: Uh, Am I going to talk about that first? Oh, yeah. Out of the gate. Oh, okay. Yep. Well, I'm very happy to say that I have uh, an hour comedy special that was uh, purchased by Tubi, which is part of the AVOD universe, advertiser-supported video on demand. And it dropped last Friday, and it's very easily accessible. And we hope you'll look it up. You just type my name in and on the Tubi website. It goes immediately into the special after a brief commercial. And I'm so happy to have you view it. It's, it's called Unassisted Living, It's my second uh, special about getting old. I was getting old in the first special called Defying Gravity. This one is where I'm really old Mm -hmm. and I'm really whining about it. Mm. It's called um, Unassisted Living. Fritz, have you brought us a clip? I brought a clip. Okay. Is this it right here? Yeah. This this looks familiar. Are we going to roll the whole thing? Yeah, we're going to roll it. Every conversation I have includes a medical update. Hey Bob, how's that new sprinkler system you put in out of the house? That's funny, I just got out of the hospital getting my own new sprinkler system. I used to have drip irrigation. Now I have a rain My best friend since elementary school became a vegan. I could not believe it. He only eats vegetables now that volunteer to be eaten. (laughs) Vegetables that carry donor cards in their wallet. (laughs) And he invites me to his house for a barbecue. I thought, mmm, a vegan barbecue. I tried to get out of it. I said, you know, I'd like to, but last Thursday, I tested positive for pork. (laughs) I'm now using a pill caddy for my medication. The little plastic box of the days of the week. I look at this thing and I weep. <laughs> Up until a year ago, I was using it for fishing tackle. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming tonight, everybody. You're just awesome. Thank you very much. So
0: the Council on Aging wrote, his show is like an hysterical baby boomer support group. A tour de force solo outing from Variety. Wow, you got re- reviewed by Variety? Mm-hmm. Theater in L.A. wrote, worthy and enjoyable, a genuine rock tour. Wow, Fritz, congratulations.
1: I'm very happy to, at my age, to have something like this to uh, chew on is fantastic.
0: I will watch it and then I'll post my own review.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, I'd be happy to do that.
1: So, Fritz- And remember, we have to work together, so be gentle.
0: I will be gentle. When you're not busy being on TV, what do you watch on TV and what have you watched on TV? Well,
1: this is a show uh, that really has occupied my thoughts since I watched it. It's called Under the Banner of Heaven. It's on Hulu. It's an FX production. This is a six-part series based on a book by John Krakauer. He's a wonderful writer. He has a series of best-selling nonfiction books like Into the World, Into the Air, When We Win Glory, The Odyssey of Pat Tillman. Under the Banner of Heaven is the true story about a murder within the LDS faith, Latter-day Saints, Mormons. It stars Andrew Garfield, a police detective, Jeb Pyrie, he's investigating a murder of a young Mormon mother, Brenda Wright Lafferty, and her baby daughter in the Salt Lake Valley. Detective Pyrie is himself a devout Mormon. And as he goes along, he uncovers truths about the origins of the LDS church and, and the violent consequences of unyielding faith, not only in Mormonism, but in other fundamentalist type religions. Brenda Lafferty was a confident, spirited wife who was trying to make her own independent decisions in life, which goes completely against the role of a Mormon wife who's supposed to be subservient and obedient to her husband. This series is like a version of succession played out in Mormon life. In flashbacks, the story shows the history of Mormonism, including the life of founder Joseph Smith. It's really interesting historically. The only fictional person actually is Detective of He's really the most interesting character, too, because we watch him go from devout Mormon to having a real crisis of faith as he uncovers more of these crimes. Andrew Garfield is such a skilled actor. It's fascinating to watch him go through these changes. It's a timeline of how the first Mormons had to struggle to find a permanent home, and they were thrown out of different cities and different states until they found their true Zion in Utah. It's a study of Messianic leaders and how they control their flocks. It's directed and produced by Dustin Lance Black, who directed Milk, which was an astonishing movie, the one that starred Sean Penn as Harvey Milk. Black himself was raised a Mormon. I, I think you saw at least part of this, didn't you? It was. Oh, yeah.
0: Seen all of it, read the book. Yeah. So what it is, is it's sort of like in a lot of religions where there is an extreme zealot version of the religion. This happens in Judaism. I'm, I am Jewish. And uh, it can feel like different planets, right? So the extreme, you know, who want to go back to the fundamentals of having several wives in, in, in Mormonism, They uh, this is, this is the, a family within which the murder has taken place. And the detective, who's just a regular straight up and down Mormon, he is investigating, but he's getting pushback from the elders who just want anything with the word Mormon attached to it that's unsettling to just go away. And this detective is determined to, to solve do his job and, and solve the, the murders, and therein lies the conflict. So it's absolutely uh, brilliant and, and so well done.
1: Yeah, and the conflict is very current because there's a big fight between the regular LDS church and the FLDS, which is the fundamentalist, mm-hmm. uh, uh, w- w- which is the group that believes in marry as many wives as you can before you die. And it's uh, it's a very current argument, but it's really fascinating because the 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 Mormon Church, the evolution of the Mormon Church, is really a big chunk of American history. Oh yeah, in the nineteenth century. So it's it's a fascinating thing, uh, whether or not you're interested in Mormonism or not.
0: Yeah, I mean they want to be proud of their heritage, and you know, and the, but when they dig too deeply, they've actually made some texts disappear because they don't want modern mormons to even know that those texts ever existed the ones that jump-started the church so fascinating stuff very interesting about history about sociology about religion about all all things that make humans so fascinating so fritz um i have been uh watching tv uh, this week. So I watched Great Expectations, which is, of course, based on the book by Charles Dickens, which follows orphan Pip, a blacksmith's apprentice who suddenly receives a windfall from an unknown benefactor and an invitation to intern in manners with a beautifully distant girl named Estella and her adopted mother, the bitterly haunted Miss Havisham. Pip's dream is to enter London's high society and become a gentleman. The book is a scathing indictment of Britain's cruel and unbalanced class structure. FX's Great Expectations is a six-part adaptation. Pip's starry-eyed ambitions find him at the mercy of the twisted heart of Miss Havisham whose heartbreak has left her hungry to inflict similar pain on all men. Using people as chess pieces, she entices Pip with the possibility of a high-class life and with the elusive beauty of her adopted daughter, Estella, whose darkened soul is only too willing to engulf Pip's. Dickens's novel was first published in monthly installments, which kept readers eagerly awaiting the next chapter and able to binge the entire story upon the book's release in 1861. There have been 28 stage and screen adaptations of Great Expectations. Without having seen them all, I can promise you that this FX version is the grisliest. Yes, Dickens paints the London of 1860 in gray and fog, despair and brutality. But this version takes that palette and douses it in sex and violence and then violent sex. Uh, you You will actually hear your own voice saying out loud, is that really in the book? And when you do, the answer is no. Come on now, FX. This is classic literature and kids are watching. So you, gentle listener, be forewarned, embrace yourself with gritty expectations. The FX version ends differently than the book. So do enjoy both and your choice of additional adaptations, including, are you ready for this? It's a long list, Fritz. It's almost like the list of Roy and Dale merchandise. Are you ready for the list? Here we go. Mm-hmm. 1934's version with Philip Holmes and Jane Wyatt. 1946's with John Mills and Alec Guinness. 1974's with Michael York and Sarah Miles. A six-part miniseries in 1989 with Anthony Hopkins and Gene Simmons. A 1998 version with Ethan Hawke, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Bancroft, and Robert De Niro set in New York, where the Pip character is called Finn. And a 2012 adaptation with Ray Fiennes, Helena Bonham Carter, Jeremy. Irvine, and Jillian Anderson. The newest version of Great Expectations is a heck of a ride, and it is on FX and Hulu. Let us now welcome teacher, musician, performer, writer, and celebrator of Western culture, Julia Rogers Pamilia, whose new book is called Your Heroes, My Grandparents, A Granddaughter's Love. Welcome, Julie.
1: Hi, Julie.
2: Hi, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, what town are you in?
2: I am at the foot of the Sierra... Nevada uh, mountains and so my reception's not real good I'm in Nevada but I'm on the backside of Lake Tahoe in
1: oh
0: nice. is, yeah. it, is it very beautiful
2: it's beautiful but I'm a Southern California girl through and through and I lived there all my life and this is really hard to adjust to this right. kind of weather well uh, you grew
1: up in Montrose right
2: yeah I did yeah my um, grandson
1: lives there It's a, just a cool little community I love it it's it like is. stuck in the 50s it's just
2: like a little charming little town mm-hmm. that um it just never changed yep. except for the fact that the 210 freeway oh, <laughs> now goes through where our house used to be.
1: No, so. no, oh, no. wow. Tore up That's the we had to move.
0: Well, a little backstory for our listeners and viewers. Roy Rogers and Dale Evans raised a large and loving blended family. Julie Rogers Pomelia is the daughter of Dale's son, Tom, and her grandparents played an integral role in her life as inspirations and role models and the creators of forever memories in the countryside with her sisters, her cousins, and Trigger. So I know that in your book, you know, you started writing this as a gift to your sons and Mm -hmm. tell us how it began to evolve into something that you wanted to share with the rest of us.
2: Yeah, it never occurred to me because I didn't see myself as a writer, but I love to write. I wanted just to give it to my sons and I go to these Western festivals still throughout the year and each time i tell stories and sit on panels and things like that and people would say oh you've got such great stories you need to write a book and i'd say well i am actually writing a book but it's to my sons and all along the way people would say no 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 no! you need to you need to publish it so that everybody else can read those stories too and at first i didn't take it seriously because i thought well what's so different about my life and then I started writing them down and thinking, yeah, it is, it is different. And I do have something to say. And I'm, I'm excited about this. So I started getting really excited and I finished the book.
1: Just to pull back and do a 3000 foot look at your family tree. Your father was Tom Fox, who was Dale Evans, only biological child from her first marriage. Is that correct? Yes, mm-hmm.
2: absolutely. Mm-hmm. Here's
1: the, I want to get right to the heart of the matter. And this is, I've been waiting to ask you this question since I found out you were going to grace us with your presence. I want to talk to you about having a dead snake in the freezer.
0: Oh
2: my gosh.
1: <laughs> what is that all about?
2: My, you know what? You haven't lived until you've raised three boys. And <laughs> well, I have two,
1: and that's enough.
2: I came from a family of three girls, and my middle son, especially, is like, I don't know. I don't know where he came from. I'm pretty sure he's mine. I'm 100% sure he's (laughs) mine, but I don't know how he got to be how he did. Anyway, he came home from church one night um like royal rangers it's sort of like a boy scout type thing only you know at church Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh the commander guy had brought a snake there and it was already dead but he wanted to show the boys his dead snake and trevor (laughs) asked if he could take him home and why oh why did that man say yes i have no (laughs) idea but he did and so trevor brought home this dead snake and after about a day of that i said no 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 he either goes in the trash outside on a hill somewhere or you know stick him in the freezer and i was half kidding and he stuck him in the freezer and he was there for 12 years
0: <laughs> what so, That's great.
2: how do they how do they keep <laughs> well uh, very well, they don't uh, smell at all but when you take them out after 12 years they just snap
0: I right, see pieces yeah you know? So there's a little freezer burn at that point. <laughs> yeah yeah oh. <laughs> So um, I wanted to start by talking about your dad. I mean you tell this story at the end of the book after we've come to know all, all of your adventures with your grandparents and everything but you know you kind of touch upon it and then you elaborate at the end that Dale, she really had her compass set towards stardom at a very young age, and her means of escaping her household as a child was to go ahead and get married, and then mm-hmm. along comes Tom, and she's only fifteen years old, and she—it's a—it babies are hard, so yeah. what especially she, when you're still a baby. Yeah. So tell us a little more. Tell us about your dad and how and how he was kept a secret at the beginning of Dale's. Uh, movie star career talk, talk about that a little bit for us
2: well you know my dad is was just an unbelievable person he could have been very bitter and resentful and you can always blame you know you're growing up on what you are now and he never did that he just was thankful for each day and he didn't keep things long and so he got passed around quite a bit at the beginning and then when he finally went to live with her the people in hollywood when she went to hollywood Uh, She wanted him to come with her. And he was in middle school. uh, Yeah, he was in middle school and then going on into high school after that. And uh, the people in Hollywood said, oh, no. Uh, uh, Back then, you know, it was very uncommon and not not really well accepted to be a single mom Mm -hmm. of a son and be so young. And, you know, they frowned upon sometimes even women working outside the home. It wasn't a big liberated women's time at all. Mm -hmm. And so she was kind of a trailblazer in that way, not intentionally, but she just wanted, she was pursuing fame at such a cost. And uh, so they said, no, you're going to have to pass Tom off as your brother. He's your little brother because he looks like your little brother anyway, because there's only 15 years difference between you.
0: Yeah.
2: So He said, well, Mom, she went back and told him that. And he said, well, Mom, you need to do what you need to do. And I understand that. He said, but I have a hard time lying about that. That's going to be hard for me. So I will just make myself scarce. And when the paparazzi came around and interviewers and things like that, he just kind of slipped out, you know, into the back recesses of the house. And What an evolved little
1: kid. Wow.
2: Yeah. So he was very... uh, wise for his years or whatever. He was, Mm -hmm. he was, um, he was dealing with it better than I can even imagine because he called my great grandma mom and he called his mom, Mm Francis, but yet he knew that was his mom. Yeah. So it was just kind of, it it would have really messed somebody else up, but he just, just kind of went through it. And, uh, and he was there for her when she got into the marriage with my grandpa and now all of a sudden she's a stepmom to these two little girls and a baby where the little girls were not having it at all like this is not yours this is my mom's furniture you are not staying you know they were not warming up to her so she really got close to my dad during those years because he was in high school by then and he was more of like a you know a almost a young adult kind of thing Mm -hmm. you know uh and she really found comfort in my dad. And my dad was praying for her the whole time. he was he was very devoted to God and uh, and eventually she uh, caved in and just decided, you know what, I'm gonna quit trying to, I don't know, announce myself into every room and just, know get rid of everything for fame
1: she wasn't the only one that did that not only relationships with children but homosexual relationships everything was a secret in hollywood oh it was impossible to be yourself
2: yeah definitely it was just they said oh you're not going to be uh you're not going to be wanted by the public they're not going to like you Mm -hmm. you're not going to be a star Mm -hmm. and so there was a lot of fear back then and a lot of homosexuals a lot of uh gay people that were really uh, hurting
1: Oh, absolutely. Time. Yeah. yeah. You, you weren't allowed to be yourself. You uh, could
2: not I, be yourself. And she could not be herself. And my dad, consequently, you know, was drug into that. And it was a tough time. Yeah. But they got through it. And uh, they had a beautiful relationship. It was I
1: want to talk about Dale. Dale, if you look at the arc of their careers, um, Roy probably had a quicker rocket to stardom when he filled in for gene audrey when gene had that contract dispute with republic pictures and so roy filled in for him to star in that movie and and then you were off to the races but your grandmother Dale had a had a more difficult time getting traction in Hollywood. She was a singer and an actor, and really didn't get notoriety until she became the the staff singer on the Edgar Bergen Charlie McCarthy show. So her she struggled not only with with your dad, I mean that that responsibility, but trying to get her traction in in show business. Yeah, she
2: she was. She was not very successful in anything she did. She was literally, you know, clawing her way up to the top of whatever she was doing, and you know, it didn't work out very well. And she finally got to Hollywood because um, she was doing a show with Ray Bolger, who had just finished his stint on uh, The Wizard of Oz as the Scarecrow. And uh, she was on stage with him and he was very well liked and she wasn't getting the reviews like she wanted. And so he came to her dressing room one night and said, you know, Dale, you need, to, you need a song that is that just makes you stand out of the crowd. Do you have anything that you've written? And she did. And so he said, I'll stooge for you up on the the stage and you can sing it to me. And it just went over so well. Somebody mm-hmm. at an affiliate of CBS was in the audience that night. And that's when she started uh, rolling along and they picked her up on national radio. And then somebody in Hollywood saw her and thought, oh, she might be the new fresh face for Hollywood. And they wanted her to screen test with Fred Astaire. So she came home and talked to my dad about it. And she was off to screen test with Fred Astaire, even though she couldn't dance. (laughs) And, you know, in Hollywood, there's a saying, you fake it till you make it right. Well, you know, I think she knew she couldn't fake this. So before she even got to the screen test, she's finally said, all right, all right, I, I can't dance well enough to be doing this with Fred Astaire. <laughs> and and then she said, and I'm not 28, I'm not 21, I'm 28, and I don't have a brother, I have a son. Well, they got really mad about the son part. That was the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's when they just said, no, 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 you keep him a secret. And then they also said, well, since you can't dance, can you ride a horse? <laughs> oh, sure. I'm from Texas, aren't I? Well, she couldn't ride a horse either. So <laughs> she was back into it. And she showed up on set. And Grandpa was very much a gentleman. But he said, wow. She didn't know one end of the horse from another. She didn't know what side to get on. And when he saw her trot off on uh, the horse she was on that day to start with, he said he never saw so much sky between a woman's rear end and a horse. <laughs> he was all over that saddle, about ready to come flying off. So she had a lot to learn, but she was she had guts, man. She was, and that's that was her personality with everything. She just went for gusto uh, for everything.
0: She was she was a very determined person, oh, and yeah. I think she she always knew what she was capable of doing if given mm-hmm. a chance, and she was going to get herself that chance. She wasn't going to wait for someone to hand it to her. That's right. But talk a little bit, if you would, about what the Roy the Roy Rogers and Dale Evans show meant to America in the 50s. It's the dawn of television. We've just won World War II. People are coming home and starting their families. And this is the first generation of kids that are growing up watching TV, and they had three channels to look at. And one of them had Roy Rogers. And there there wasn't a kid in America that wasn't obsessed with this. So just because we live in times where everyone's looking in a different direction, just describe what that must have been like for them to be at well, the... I think
2: part of it was that there weren't so many choices. You know, today there's a million choices out there. Mm-hmm. So all of the fame is kind of spread out. Right. Um, and back then it was very focused on Westerns. Westerns were the genre... That was up and coming and the the popular thing. And I don't think they realized how much of an effect they would have until it just kind of exploded. Um, and uh, Roy Rogers
1: and uh, Hop Along Cassidy were two of the only shows my parents would let me watch on Saturday morning. If I wasn't watching those two shows, I would be out mowing two acres of grass which to me was purgatory and so yeah yeah. i would
2: totally watch (laughs) to this day
1: to this day the two songs that bring tears to my eyes are amazing grace on the bagpipes and hearing somebody sing happy trails happy trails just harkens back to my childhood so much and uh i i I just love that song. It's also a beautiful song. It's a beautiful song. by he, her grandmother. Yes, that's the thing I didn't realize. So tell the story. Your grandmother wrote that song and the story of writing it on the back of an envelope and then having to teach it to Roy before they sang it the first time.
2: Oh, yeah. She was always fly by the seat of her pants kind of person. And he was more, you know, inside a neat box. And she would always just write notes and scribble things and words to songs on napkins and envelopes and call sheets and all kinds of stuff. And, um, she came up with that song and, you know, grandpa would hum it around the house all the time. Uh, (laughs) she wanted him to have his own song and she wanted it to sound like a trail song, but she also wanted it to have some depth of meaning to talk about the way life is to kind of, parallel the way we live our lives it's a very mm. touching song yeah, yeah. And, it's beautiful um, she- i didn't know she wrote it till i was 20.
0: yeah so. i love that tell that story of you you and your college dorm and this chocky has to tell you what your grandmother's done yes
2: <laughs> i was doing my homework and i hear this pop out of my radio that dale evans uh wrote that iconic song i said are you kidding me and i went to the phone i said you wrote that she said wait 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 wrote what i said "Trails." <laughs> kind of and she said well yeah And there was silence. It's like, what what do I say? Well, I said, you never told me that. And she said, well, baby, I just didn't think it was that important. I said, you know, nobody in this family tells me anything. I I have to find out from other people outside the family. And we had a good laugh over it. And we had a good talk. But um, yeah, we just kind of, I thought everybody's grandpa had a TV show when I was growing up. (laughs) And so my normal. Mine did not.
0: Just so you know. Yeah.
2: Well. Okay. <laughs> my normal was a little bit skewed, uh, off center. It wasn't the norm for people to have grandparents that had a TV show, and and on and on. You know, with that, and um, so I I didn't really know what to think until after I became an adult and I started looking back on my life. Right. A lot of things became more clear and more poignant to me and more precious than even when i was going through it at the time
1: how old were you when you discovered that there was fame in your family i think you were in elementary school and yeah, a, t- a teacher exploded when she found out your grandparents were wrote oh r- he good. was
0: on the weekly reader
2: the weekly readers <laughs> remember those those mm-hmm. newspapers we used to get in school and mm-hmm. then it would be social studies or something and uh, she motioned me up to her desk and showed me a picture it was grandpa was on the front cover big huge picture of him covering the front cover, and she said, real weird, like, she said, do you know who this is? And I thought, that's really odd, the way she's acting. I'll be at
1: his house this weekend at a barbecue. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, yeah, that's my grandpa. And the way she responded just really took me by surprise. Mm-hmm. It, it just came, it blindsided me. And I, I went home that day, and I said, what is up with Grandma and Grandpa? What's going on? <laughs> and um you know and then that was just my small introduction to the effect that they had on other people Mm -hmm. and and the rest of the world Mm -hmm. in fact right and they were they were authentic they were who they were off screen and on screen they weren't they weren't pretending to be good people they were good people
0: right and you didn't have those concepts those big picture concepts of what fame means or what who is outside my family beyond you know it just seems like oh this is my normal and so what what else what else do i know i don't know that there's people in other countries that know my grandfather's face how would i know that i live here right
2: right i didn't i didn't know that and my little friends never made a big deal about it uh and so there was nothing to really alert me to the fact that oh my i have famous grandparents
0: Right, because uh, no one in your family was was making it bigger than it needed to be. The kids are the stars of the family, you know?
2: Right, right. Nobody made it bigger. They didn't make it bigger than it needed to be, Uh, and my parents didn't. And so we all just were in this bubble, all the grandchildren. We'd go to their house almost every weekend for dinner. And we'd all play, and it was just a big family gathering. And so that's what I knew. It was crazy and chaotic and loving. And I knew that I just was living this magical life, but I had no idea that everybody else wasn't.
1: Well, one of the touching parts of the book is when you learn the the depth of the careers of Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, Western musicals at Republic Pictures, TV shows, dozens of specials, they performed at rodeos in their spare time, sold millions of records and did radio shows. Yet you're very uh, quick to say that they always made time for the family. You never felt like they were missing. For instance, they would go to school functions of yours and they were always there to support you.
2: Yeah. And if they weren't, they would feel so bad and they'd call and they'd ask how it was. And uh, I, I never felt uh, I, I never wondered if they loved me fiercely. I just knew they did. Mm-hmm. And they always tried to make time for me and did. I mean, at my birthday parties or outings, like you said, recitals. Um and they were just loving, loving grandparents. They always wanted a big family. Family was first for them before their career, but their career was just off and running. It was kind of a it was
1: it was out of their was, control.
2: Well, talk yeah, a little it was bit an entity of- all all in mm-hmm. itself, you know. And so of course they had responsibilities with that but all in all with how busy they were it was amazing how much time they made for family.
0: And talk a little bit give everyone idea of the blended family that they created.
2: Uh-huh. Well they they wanted a big family both of them and my my grandma had to had dad he was the oldest Roger's sibling. Grandpa had had um, uh, one that was adopted because they thought him and his second wife thought they couldn't have any kids. Well, then, as often happens, after they adopted a little girl, they went ahead to have another little girl and a boy um, biologically with him and his second wife. So nobody's related now at this point, right, except the two that were um, biological with Grandpa. And they got together, and then they had four. And they thought uh, they wanted to have more, and they had a little Robin, but... Robin was the only one that they had together. And she uh, was born with really serious heart defects and Down syndrome. And back then they didn't have the, the the tools for Down syndrome.
1: And you also said that the writings that Dale Evans did about Down syndrome was really uh, the first time the American public was awakened to what it's like to have a, a Down's child in your family and all that's involved with that. And she really was a, was an eye opener for many people.
2: Absolutely. They were they were very much uh, uh, socially they 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 didn't just. Um, you know, they weren't on on the movies, on on TV, and just influencing kids in that way. They were socially aware of what was going on in the country and how important it was to not lock these children away in institutions, which they did back then. Uh, the doctor said, "Well, where are you going to put her?" And he's like, "Well, what do you think I'm going to put her? What do you mean? We're going to take her home." And they said, "No, what institution?" And he said, "We are not taking her to an institution. Are you kidding?" And So because of their, their, I guess, perceived bravery in that area, which didn't feel like bravery to them, um, they encouraged a lot of, I mean, just millions of people around the country to start bringing their kids out and not putting them in homes. And, and they started seeing a big influx of families at their rodeos that had children of all kinds with all kinds of special needs. So Grandpa went to the venues and said, "Okay, wherever we do a show, I want the first few rows uh, saved for families with with kids with special needs."
0: Well, did you so, know that that Julie this week was announced that there's a Barbie with Down's? Really? Yeah, just happened. I didn't cool. Know that? that. Mm-hmm.
1: That's great. Think
0: yeah. How far we've come. We've come yeah, so amazing. far, thanks to your grandparents. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, that makes
2: me feel. That just gives me chills because I know that they were on the cutting edge of that whole oh, yeah. that
1: mm-hmm. whole thing. Mm-hmm. Sounds like your grandmother was.
0: Well, your grandparents were OG merchandisers, and I'm just going to... This is yeah. this is this list is in your book and I don't know if I have enough breath to get through this but there were Roy Rogers gun belts shirts ties scarves socks boots chaps jackets pants hats jewelry pins blankets toothbrushes cereal boxes flashlights action figures bedspreads rugs slippers robes pajamas wristwatches towels dishes tea sets lamps coloring books crayons sets the list just that's like that's about one-tenth of the list Julie you had 12 Roy Rogers little yellow golden records but you you really just put one song on on repeat, didn't you?
2: Yeah, I only wanted one song, and I don't. <laughs> I don't think my family liked that very much. Isn't it
0: just such a tragedy that you have to buy the whole album to get just the one to get song Sweetest
2: you like? <laughs> yeah, that was the one song he sang that I was just like focused on. I was obsessed with that song when I was little, and I had a Roy Rogers horse. You know, the springs that would rock back and forth like this. Oh yeah. And I'd get up seriously first thing in the morning, get on my horse. Throw that record on, give it a few spins, and keep repeating on repeat. And Mm -hmm. my family was about ready to kill me.
1: (laughs) What's the most valuable piece of Roy Rogers Dale Evans memorabilia you have in your home?
2: Wow. Well, you know, I think— The playhouse,
1: the Roy Rogers playhouse. Oh, yeah, that was cool, you said. I
2: think that was really a special memory because um, Grandpa used to go in there with me, (laughs) and I'd serve him, you know, tea and cookies or whatever, milk and cookies. Um, and it never occurred to me that Roy Rogers was sitting in my Roy Rogers clubhouse. It was just <laughs> grandpa and me, you know, mm-hmm. and he never pointed to that or made reference to that or anything. He was so lovely. They both were. And he was such a grandpa. And so is, so was grandma. Um,
1: there's a great picture in your book where, uh, president Eisenhower had a birthday party oh, yeah. for David, his grandson, that we all grew up with because he was married to Julie Eisenhower. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, and it was a Roy Rogers-themed birthday party. And, of course, you have to have Roy Rogers show up at the Roy Rogers-themed birthday party. Well, at that. that's right, that's especially big time. if you're the
2: president, that's right? That's a big so. time.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, they, they were there. You know, they could go to the White House, <clears throat> spend the night there, and be special guests. And then the next weekend, they could be on the floor with me in my living room playing <laughs> Old Maid with me. And they did. I mean, they just fit that no matter who you put them with, they just molded into the situation and they seamlessly moved in and out of stardom very easily. And so that's also the reason why I didn't know they were famous.
0: Well, yeah, they were, they were comfortable with themselves, which makes you comfortable in ver- in various settings. Now, I, have, I do have Roy and Dale memory of my own. I was a Studio page at Metro Media Square, and they were coming on the John Davidson show, the talk show. And my job was to meet the talent and take them to their dressing rooms. And so just my memory is they, they showed up when they said, you know, this is our son, Dusty. And my brain was just screaming, no way. Roy and Dale have a son named Dusty. This is like the best day ever. And uh, and I think they told me that he built the house. I think they were bragging on him. Like it wasn't about them. They were like, here's our son and this is what he does. It. You know, and they were so proud of him. That's my memory of it.
2: Yeah, that um, he did. He built them a house. <clears throat> Their second That's the house Apple, Valley Apple Valley house,
1: right? Yeah. yeah.
2: And um, it was on the golf course. Beautiful house in the shape of a horseshoe. And... um. He was very talented, and I've uh, I have many memories, and so do my sons in that house. And um, Uncle Dusty's a wonderful guy. He's a lot like Grandpa. <laughs> um, not real outgoing uh, but he has a lot of good stories if you hang with him long enough. Um, <laughs> very um, very quiet. And now Aunt Cheryl, his sister, my my aunt, is completely the opposite, just like Grandma Dale.
1: Oh. Isn't that kind and, of like the Roy and Dale dichotomy there? Yeah. Uh, your, your grandpa was kind of shy. You could see it in his crinkly smile and his crinkly yeah. eyes. <laughs> and Dale filled the room when she walked in there.
2: Oh, yeah. She couldn't help it. And she didn't know she was doing it. She was hilarious to travel with. I mean, we went to Scotland with her, me and my best friend, and you know, when I was in college. And, oh. I mean, we couldn't go anywhere with her flying under the radar. <laughs> yeah, she was just, yeah, wherever she went. And, um, yeah, and she wasn't trying to be, you know, neither one of them tried to be like that. Somebody asked Grandpa one time, doesn't it bother you that Dale talks so much in interviews? And he said, nope, because it gives me enough time I to what, to. what <laughs> I want to say. Yeah,
0: <laughs> They complimented each other.
2: They did. They really really did.
1: So Roy before he became Roy Rogers was Leonard Sly, which is yep. one of the great names. If I was going to start a hair metal band right now, mm-hmm. I would want yeah. the lead singer to be called Leonard Sly. When Leonard did he change Sly. his name and who who convinced him to do that?
2: Um how he changed his
1: name, you know? Yeah, named? so when did that occur? Earlier?
2: Um well, he he was Leonard Well, first of all, his mom said till the day she died, she said, I named you Leonard and I'm going (laughs) to call you Leonard till the day you die. So none of this Roy stuff. So she was the only one that ever called him Leonard. Um, The the name came about when he started kind of looking at going into the movies with his singing group and maybe going a little bit farther with it. And he thought, well, I'm going to make a different name. I'm going to make myself a name and it's going to be Dick Weston. Well, he made that up. I don't know how I don't I should have asked him one time, but uh, he went to the studio when he did get the the position that Gene, you know, when Gene was having the dispute with the studio. And they said, well, first thing, we don't like Dick Weston. We don't like that name. You got to change your name. So they came up with he they said, do you have another name you want? And he says, well, I really, really have idolized Will Rogers all my life. Mm -hmm. And so they said, "Okay, Rogers. All right. Well, what goes with Rogers? And They just sort of came up with Roy because it kind of flowed off your tongue. Mm
1: -hmm. I want to talk about your grandfather singing because I'll tell you, I just love the Sons of the Pioneers. Mm -hmm. And every weekend on Sirius XM radio, they have the old Western uh, movie and TV show soundtrack for an hour from five to six o'clock with Ranger Doug. And every week they play Uh one or two of the Sons of the Pioneers song, this precise and heavenly, um, um, beautiful harmony music. And you don't even have to be a fan of Western music. It was just great use of human voices and they were really good.
2: And the instruments didn't take over. Uh -uh. I mean, they had instruments, but it was very acoustical Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the voices just blended beautifully. And that was his first
1: fame, right? Working with him before. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He, um, he, he when they first came to Los Angeles, his sister pushed him, literally pushed him onto a stage at a a, a talent show, and that's how he got his first start singing because he was so painfully shy, and he was just a little guy from Duck Run, Ohio, back in the holler, and he had grown up, you know, barefoot with overalls on, and mm-hmm. he uh, he never aspired to be famous. And he really, he loved to sing, though, and play his banjo or uh, his uh, ukulele or his guitar. And so um, he kind of came in through that route. And actually, so did Grandma. So they were both singers. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because the only ones that sing out of our family, oh, I never even got to the rest of the family because I stopped (laughs) at Robin. Um, But the only ones that sing are the biological children from either one. Oh, interesting. um, yeah but i have a you know we're very multicultural diverse we have i have a native american aunt i had a korean aunt i had an aunt from scotland my uncle had special needs because they adopted him from a home from abused children because Mm. he was beaten badly in his head when he was little and Mm. abandoned and so i mean they they just were so loving and inclusive and we didn't know those barriers that we. Everybody talks about all this stuff today, and gosh, I feel like a racist, even though I'm not, just because I'm white. And and I, I grew up in a family that never talked about that and didn't think twice about that because we have all kinds of colors in my family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And and yet I'm 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 sorry, I'm probably getting too. <laughs> oh no no, no no no. It's interesting we, we just to hear. You but know, I, I just feel very strange when people kind of look at me and and just think, you know, right off the bat, oh, you must think this way because you appear this way. You're middle class. You're light skinned. You're this. You're that. Well, I and would say to
0: you, don't assume that you know what they're thinking because you think they're looking at you and thinking something because then you're going to get ahead of things and create something that doesn't exist. Ex- assume- well, people,
2: have tol- people have told me that. People have said you probably don't know. You know what, what variety is, or what you know, culture, different cultures are. And just
0: say you don't know my lived experience, Mm -hmm. and if you're interested, ask me. Right, and I'll tell you. Yeah,
2: because we we grew up in a very very multicultural family. Mm -hmm.
1: And and speaking Um, of backgrounds, one of the interesting facts, a sort of a darkly ironic fact, is that Dale Evans was brought up in Uvalde, Texas, which was the scene of that mass murder. Oh, horrible! Yes,
2: when I heard that. I just, I just, my heart stopped. I just, I thought that it's such a sleepy, cute little town. I mean, at least when I was growing up Mm -hmm. and it's just unthinkable, you know, Mm -hmm. and my grandparents would be so sad today. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a different day back then. It was a different time. And I have such memories of, of being, feeling safe. Of course you do feel safe when you're a kid anyway, but, um, you know, we played until the streetlights came on and, and, you know, I knew that all the adults in my life were taking care of me and I was, life was good. Mm-hmm. I got mm-hmm. to ride Trigger. You know, what else
0: do you want? Hello. Yeah, you oh. got to ride Trigger. Yep. And yeah. you, and talk a little bit about uh, how <laughs> your grandma said to, you, to your grandpa, all right, we need to get this stuff out of the house. Why don't oh. you buy a museum? And so he did. <laughs>
2: She did. That's exactly the conversation. You've got to do something about all this stuff, Papa, because you've got way more stuff than we have room for. Go go buy a bowling alley down the street and make it into a museum. And he did. And that was the first museum. And it really was therapeutic for him because they had just lost three of their children and Trigger. And he started putting things in the museum. And it was this safe, preserved peaceful place to walk through in the morning by himself before it opened to sort of reminisce, you know, and kind of heal a little bit because his heart was really hurt Mm -hmm. during that, that first move uh, when they first moved up to Victorville. And, um, and I think that really helped him a lot. And it was great for the family because it was like a living scrapbook because all the things that were in the museum were things I had grown up with on the ranch in Chatsworth.
0: And all so, contained hundreds of memories for him.
2: Each, oh, each item. yeah, yeah. So he definitely did the museum for for himself. And people sometimes people were a little critical of the type of museum it was. It was a little kitschy, a little, uh, you know, homespun.
1: Well, that was that the was, time when they were famous. That's yeah, that's
2: but a, it yeah. was
0: it was kind of like crusting. But the cool thing about it was you you go to the museum and you could look at all of this memorabilia but you could also look at Roy Rogers because he liked to get up in the morning and, and go there Hang out so the people gym. people got to celebrate their childhood with him, with him. and that yes. was so cool
2: and he used to love that he'd go and he'd people would be looking in a case and talking and he'd just stick his head between the two of them <laughs> you know and start talking and they would what? just turn around and they couldn't believe he was standing there oh wow and um he he really loved that he always said too that if it weren't for the fans there would be no roy rogers so he never forgot to be grateful he never forgot his roots um he didn't lose himself in hollywood you know in his image or anything so they were very grounded
1: let's put to rest the great trigger myth Trigger is not stuffed. He's preserved. He's mounted. But, he, but he's not mounted. the product.
2: Preserved and mounted, yes. yes. he's
1: preserved. He's not the product of a taxidermist. And no. tell that because that, I mean, up until I read your book, I thought that was true, that somewhere in one of your homes, there's a dusty, there's there's Trigger. No. We have to dust him off every week. Oh, my God.
2: Oh, my, no.
1: So, but, but, um, but before, before Trigger even died, you had like a plastic cast or I don't know how right. you... I don't know right. how you did that with a with a living horse, but you did that.
2: Yeah, he had somebody, the, you know, professionals come in and they, they, you know, take a measuring tape and they do all the measurements of the horse and then they come up with a, a life-size exact replica of the horse. And then, you know, they stretch the skin over and it sounds disgusting, but when you go to a natural history museum, you know, that's what they do oh, yeah. with those animals. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Gene would give him a bad time. Gene Autry was his friend. Uh, they just—it was just a myth that they were enemies because they sold more magazines that way. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, he he just said, "Roy, I don't know why you went to all that money and trouble to do that. Just stick them in the ground, you know, <laughs> to be done with it." And Grandpa just couldn't do that; he was too sentimental. And Jean was a better businessman. You can tell just by the Autry Museum in Burbank. Uh, it's beautiful. It's oh, a it's completely gorgeous. different.
1: And, like and a, it's a great location for Southwestern art in general. You know, Native American art's yeah. a beautiful place. And
2: his is more encompassing of like the Baccaros and the, uh, you uh, know, the cowboys from Mexico, all the mm-hmm. different kinds of real cowboys, not just mm-hmm. screen cowboys.
0: Right, right, right. Okay, so yeah. it's more of a cultural. Uh, it's a it was, more of
2: a cultural thing, and they have events there and stuff. Grandpa's was totally just a homespun. This was our life kind of. Here's thing.
0: our basement. <laughs> Come on in. This is yeah. yeah. What, was there more than one trigger?
1: Um, there
2: was, and you know, at the time. It's kind of like Lassie. There was more than one Lassie. Yeah. There was more than one. But they had to one... match
1: the spot. They had to match the coloring on Trigger. Otherwise, would have They had to match the it.
2: coloring. But if you really, you know, those of you who are really horse people, you can tell from the blaze, from the markings, from the the stockings or lack of the white stockings uh, that they had. Um, they had about seven or eight, actually, wow. that were in the barn waiting just in case for emergencies. Oh, my god! But they only had two. And really one that was used the most out on the road, because by the time they started going out on the road, Trigger was getting older. And that's not kind to do to a horse to make him travel cross country. It's hard on their knees, uh, you know, to rumble along in a horse trailer. And it's just it's it really cuts down their lifespan. And he loved that horse. So he wasn't about to to run him into the ground doing that at at his late age in life.
1: Did they um, use the same trigger for shooting the movies and then doing like yes. rodeos and personal appearances no. and things? No,
2: well, wow. they used the same they used the old man. They called him the old man. The original the trigger
0: original. always stayed with Roy at the ranch. Just cuz he wasn't doing showbiz, he was right. still with Roy.
2: He was still with grandpa that yeah. was his horse there was <laughs> something magical between the two of them something a real deep bond between the two of them that he did not have with the other horses um but trigger jr often uh traveled with him to the rodeos later on and trigger jr was really uh kind of um ornery a little bit he he knew that he could go rogue in the middle of a program and grandpa wouldn't do anything because he didn't want to do it in front of the kids you know mm. like to you know, reprimand him or anything. Smack him with a stick. But one time he drew blood, he he bit Grandpa on the shoulder and tore his shirt. And Grandpa was like, oh, you well, just bit. When
0: I he get you wait. home.
2: Yeah, and after the show, he went back to find him. He was so mad. And he found him and Trigger Jr. He backed up, backed up, backed up until he hit the wall. And then he started doing every trick he knew just to, you know, try to get out of getting in trouble. And Grandpa just had to laugh, you know, here he is bowing, praying, counting, nodding, doing all this stuff, and uh, Aww,
0: yeah, he just
2: had horse. to laugh and say, yeah. "You know what? He, he's he's a smart horse." Yeah, well, you,
1: you know, there are a lot of cool little uh, dots that I was able to connect watching your reading your book and then having watched the show a century ago when I was a young person. But uh, so the big names were Roy and Dale and Trigger and Buttercup, and Butter also milk. Nellie Bell the Jeep that they used in that TV show. And I found out from your book that Nellie Bell was actually part of the ranch out in Chatsworth. They used to drive Uh that thing around the ranch.
2: Yeah. They would keep her out there and, um, she would often, um, die. I I took her out. Um, my (laughs) sisters and I, one time when I was, you know, old enough to drive and, um, and she got, she got, you know, she stalled and I thought, well, here we are, you know, it's (laughs) Nellie Bell. And, um, yeah, they kept Nellie Bell out there, and um, Buttermilk was Grandma's horse. Uh, not as nice of a personality as Trigger. She didn't really like that horse so much. Right. Um, he had been abused when he was a young horse and was on his way to be, you know, killed, oh. uh, slaughtered, and they, they grabbed him off the truck, him and a few other horses, to take him to Hutchins Stable's. Uh, that rented out horses for the movies. So he escaped by the skin wow. of his teeth. Wow! Uh, at the last minute.
0: Mm-hmm. Now your grandfather was an adrenaline junkie.
2: Yeah.
0: As much as he was, you know, a beautiful musician and uh, and and so good at so many different things. He lo- he had a billion hobbies and he lo- and he t- talk about the day he took you out uh, on his motorcycle. <laughs>
2: oh my gosh, that was so much fun. That was in Victorville and. He just poked his head around the door. It was kind of quiet around the house. We were all there, a bunch of family. And he said, hey, you want to go for a ride? I said, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I I went out in the garage. I didn't even know what kind of ride he was talking about. And I realized, oh, we're going for a motorcycle ride. I've never been on a motorcycle. So I was in high school and he took me out. And um, we went to the old airstrip and we just rode back and forth and back and forth on the old airstrip all afternoon. It, and we just flew. I mean, I had my eyes were watering and, and tears were coming on my eyes because we were going so fast. It was super fun. Oh, and my mom was really mad at my dad for letting me go. But um, but I don't I still am glad that I went. <laughs> it was it was a really good time. And we had a really good time together. I don't know if he or me had more fun.
0: And then uh, then there's the day that you said for for your graduation, you wanted to go pheasant hunting with grandpa.
2: Yeah, no, I'm not really, you know, I'm not a hunter at heart. I don't like to kill animals. But I do know something that I loved being with them. And I really loved doing things that grandpa was comfortable doing. And he was the best he was in his element when he was doing something he was comfortable. And I knew he was. So I said, and I just wanted to see what it was like. So he gave me a a lesson. I was terrible. I missed almost every clay pigeon uh, he threw up, you know, there in the sky. And um, it was a really sweet time, though, because he didn't mind. He he loved, you know, that I wanted to be with him. And we went, uh, yeah, we went pheasant hunting. He made me wear this, this, this vest with a pocket, a big pocket in the back. I said, what's the pocket for? He goes, to put your bird in. I said, Wait, what? My bird? <laughs> and you know, I'm thinking just clay pigeons, you know, we're just gonna have fun shooting. And I didn't really wanna shoot anything, but I ended up shooting. But it wasn't me that killed it, it was my grandpa because I I shot it and all of a sudden it fell out of the sky and there were I heard two shots. I said, <laughs> What was that? Did you he hear probably that? told you, it was you, of course. Yeah, well, back he up. said, "Well, no, I just want you just kind of clipped him. I wanted to, you know, he was. Totally <laughs> you clipped him?
1: Do you, do <laughs> you lied. feel? Uh, I mean, you're such a great teller of the tale of the Roy Rogers and Dale Evans legacy, but do you feel an obligation to be the keeper of the flame, to keep the the, the legacy of these two people alive, or do you just let it have its natural life? Do you go around and do, uh, you know, the the Golden Boot Awards and all that kind of stuff just to keep their oh, memory alive? Yeah.
2: i used to do that that's no longer that was really fun but i don't do that anymore because it's no longer it's defunct um but you know i didn't go looking for it that's the thing i uh when they passed on shortly before he died actually they were both alive still alive and they wanted to hear us sing because my sisters and i having voices you know being sisters uh, it's kind of like the sons of the pioneers. They blend really well. Mm-hmm. Well, you grew up
0: singing with your dad singing, and your yeah. mom. They're all musicians, yeah. so y'all grew up uh, performing as a family.
2: Yeah, so we did. We had done that for for my whole life, really. And um, so they wanted us to sing, so we started singing for little Western festivals, kind of just to just make them feel, you know, it was at the end of their life. And it really touched their hearts to mm-hmm. hear us sing and to hear us sing their songs
0: mm-hmm. and to sing
2: Happy Trails, you mm-hmm. know, at the end of our set or whatever. And um, and then after that, I don't know. It just people kept asking me to come to stuff and I didn't look for it. And I still don't look for it. If somebody asks me to come, I'll come. But I keep thinking at some point it's it's got to dwindle so much down to the fact where it no longer is because most of these old cowboy people are gone because it's um there's nobody left
1: but i would bet that roy rogers stuff kills on ebay
0: oh yeah <laughs> what's there's the what's stuff- the hot item like what's the thing if the collectors are you know have almost everything what it's what's the one thing that they really want Oh if they have
2: almost everything yeah well there's a there's a board game that a lot of people don't have mm-hmm. uh, that's a Roy Rogers board game and that's kind of scarce you don't find that I mean you find lunch boxes and and horseshoe sets rubber horseshoe sets and stuff like that all the time mm-hmm. but there are you know there are some things like the board game that you don't see all that much. Um, or, or kind of random trinkets that they made that you never ever see uh, I can't even think of one other than the mm-hmm. board game right now but um, yeah there are stuff there, there are things excuse me um, but there are collectors out there oh, and yeah. There's, there's lots of collectors out there and you can find a ton of stuff on eBay because at one time he was only second to Walt Disney in the amount of merchandise like you were talking mm-hmm. about um, mm-hmm. that he had out there on the market yeah. And he, and even had, he even started the NFL merchandising, which not and, very many people know.
1: I also learned that really? before the Beatles, he had the biggest fan club in England. Yeah. In the, in the history of Yeah, America. he
2: was really, really a hit in, in England. And they did a they did a rodeo tour over there. They met the Queen of England and they wow. um, that's where they got Mimi, my Aunt Mimi from Scotland. They brought her home as a foster child oh. or to just to visit and then she stayed. Wow. and became their child
0: yeah and i don't i don't know that western lore is ever going anywhere because you can drive up to gold country and still find them putting on a wild west show every sunday yeah. I, I just i don't think it's i think it's a part of well, american history and
2: well you know what's interesting is hmm. i know now because of my grandparents i know quite a few people in the business uh in acting who are still acting or used to whatever all all Kinds of people, and the one thing I keep coming across is that almost every male actor out there wants to do a western and be a cowboy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, they, they all want to do a western. That's and their, tell, their,
0: their tell idea. as as we close out our show, tell about some of the people who find out who your grandparents are, and then tell you what your grandparents meant to them.
2: Oh, there's there's so many people that were their peers. That loved them, mm-hmm. which was really heartwarming. I mean even you know people like Harry Morgan, you remember the guy yeah. that Colonel oh, Potter yeah. on Mash? yeah, he came and sat down and just started opening up and telling all this he was, his first movie was with Grandpa. Mm-hmm. Wow, and I never knew that until he told me that and and he told every little detail oh. um the boys that were on on my three sons, oh. uh, one of them was on a toy commercial with Grandpa
0: Stanley Livingston. Uh,
2: yeah and and um and on the fall guy Lee Majors wanted him so bad <laughs> on his show that he just kept asking you know giving offering more money and Grandpa he didn't realize it but Grandpa was nervous that he wasn't going to be able to remember the lines Aww. or get up on his horse and look good anymore he finally did it and he was great and i mean even people like um um Oh, what's his name? Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney. Yeah. Um, talked to him one time and Hugh Hefner, um, you know, very different lifestyle, but nonetheless, just really had kind of, oh, no,
1: he's part name. of the fabric of American culture. Yeah. And, and, and so many interesting connections. Way, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's true. Could you yeah. take your shirt off and ride trigger through the, uh, oh, the mansion? God. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, no. no. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, uh, there's so many interesting connections uh, to Weezy's point uh, westerns will never go away because I, t- I think two of the brilliant westerns lately sort of the modern era of westerns were 310 to yuma which i've seen about 40 times yes. and also tombstone yeah. is one of uh-huh. my favorite movies of all time in yep. which val kilmer should have gotten an oscar for playing doc uh, holiday so and hilarious. val kilmer bought your grandfather's ranch in chatsworth
2: yeah. Yes, he did. And I didn't know that until Val came on stage at the Academy Awards one time with a Trigger lookalike. I think he was a descendant, not of the real old man, because he never produced any offspring. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, Grandpa kept him a stallion. But, um, but the other Triggers, uh, he was a, a product of. And Val Kilmer said right there on the, on the program that night, you know, that I grew up on Roy Rogers Ranch. And I went, <laughs> what? I don't remember you. And I called my Uncle Dusty. And he Uh said, yep, that's true. They sold the ranch and the Kilmer family bought it after we all moved out, you know, so it was after
0: me. Wow. That's so awesome. Yeah. There's more in common than you think. No, it's really fascinating. With everyone. When Roy Rogers has something in common with Hugh Hefner, you realize what a small (laughs) world it really is. That is very uh, unique. Yes. (laughs) So, all right. So where can folks find your book? I I didn't see a Kindle version. Is that in the works or, you know, what do folks need to know?
2: yeah it is we're, we're working on that um right now it's available in hardback and paperback and it's on amazon uh the website amazon and also on barnes and noble uh website and you and guys i am even i am as we speak uh trying to get a website up and running uh i have the domain name i just need to fill it in now uh it's info at julie rogers and that's going to be where people can ask they can buy a book and then I can sign it to them and just send it right to them. Oh,
0: great. That's Uh, wonderful. All right. Well, here come your closing credits. Thank you so much for joining us. We would love to continue this conversation with you on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at Media Path Pod and on Facebook, where our show page is Media Path Podcast, and our Facebook group is called Media Path with Fritz and Weezy Podcast Community. You can find full video podcast episodes loaded with bonus visual content on our YouTube channel, Media Path Podcast. You can write to us at Media Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, please give us a nice rating in Apple Podcasts and talk about us over brunch at a dental cleaning or on social media. You can sign up for our saucy rag of a newsletter at mediapathpodcast.com Our website is new and shiny. Come look around, stay for a while, make it your homepage. We want to thank our wonderful guest, Julie Rogers-Pamelia. Our team includes Dina Friedman, John Maddox, Bill Filippiak, Thomas Hubble mason brown garrett arch nick broussard and you our theme music is by me and john maddox i am louise planker here with fritz coleman be well and wise and we will see you along the media path